Hey everyone, it's Michelle and Brayden, and this is Spooky Shit. So this week we're going to be talking about arsonist. I will start off by talking about Julio Gonzalez. And then I'm going to talk about Bruce George Peter Lee. That's such a long name. <laughs> you'll hear. You'll, you'll hear soon enough. <laughs> Warning. This episode may contain graphic details. Listener discretion is advised. All right. But before we get started, how have you been, Mr. Deep Voice, Brayden? <laughs> Mr. Deep Voice. <laughs> I've been good. You said that I didn't talk about it before, but I thought I did. But, you know, I'm basically going through puberty. Yep. Like, I'm basically a teenage boy. And so it's, like, tripping me out because, like, your boy can eat now. <laughs> like, hella. You're a growing man. Yeah, literally. Like, <laughs> I could eat. Like, it's crazy. It trips me out that, like, how much I can eat. Like, like, is it, like, that much? Well, just comparing to, like, before, mm-hmm. like, yeah. Like, I can <laughs> eat a whole plate of Panda Express. I ate the whole plate. Or recently, we went to Wings and Things, and I get the... I forgot what they're called, but it's, like, the fries. I was, like, wings? The the buffalo-like <laughs> fries or something like that. Okay. And it's literally, like, sir, it's, like, the serving is for two people. Uh-huh. And before, because that's, like, all I get there. And before, yeah. like, I would never finish it. Like, it looked like I never, like, would barely make a dent. <laughs> and, like, literally the other day we went and I got it and I literally, like, ate the whole thing. <laughs> and I was, like, what the fuck, bro? Because, like, I, like, you still eat. hungry after? No, I wasn't still hungry. But, like, <laughs> before, like, I don't know. Like, I just don't feel stuffed, you know? Like, I don't feel, like, bullet. Like, I just, I'm satisfied. You're turning into Robert. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just so crazy to me. That's um, actually the unfortunate part, because now you're going to not have as much leftovers. It's more expensive. That's true. <laughs> Very true. Um, but yeah, it's, like, super weird to me. Like, it's kind of like, oh, shit. <laughs> um, and, like, I'm always hungry now, too. That's so weird. No, that's literally Robert. <laughs> but I don't know if it's because of work or just because, like, my body fat is redistributing mm-hmm. um but i have been losing weight it's so strange it is it's like it's puberty weird. it's so weird it is grown weird. adult puberty yeah puberty times two also i am just hearing this for the first time you guys should hear before we start recording he's like oh yeah and i'm always hungry and i'm like don't tell me yet <laughs> and then i make him wait so i could hear it for the first time yeah but yeah like i've noticed my pants like they're at work they're like always falling like i have to actually wear a belt now oh and even like with my belt i used to like just use like the literally the first or the last hole Mm -hmm. and now i can go all the way to like the third one what the fuck so i'm like oh shit like i am losing weight it doesn't feel like it but yeah i guess i am your body's just like all moving and stuff. Yeah, I really wish you could see my hands. I'm just doing a bunch of little <laughs> wavy motion. <laughs> it's just so interesting. Testosterone is a very powerful, very it powerful is. thing. It is super powerful. I think I 
my period stop. Really? Mm-hmm. That's exciting. That's a big one. Like, yeah. Like, oh, I, cool. I, I didn't really keep track of it. Mm-hmm. Because it was just kind of like spotting almost. Yeah. And then now it's just like, I don't know. I haven't. Nothing. It's happened. not. It doesn't exist. Yeah. It's not there <laughs> no more. Oh, that's sick. So that's cool. And I've definitely gotten way more like little hairs on my chin. And also yeah, like. You guys see he has a full beard right now? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> um, but I also am getting like a lot of hair like like under my sideburn, like on my jaw line oh. almost. You're going to have like, mutton chops. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I am getting more hair there. Nice. And then, I guess my back is getting hairy, too. So really? So, tells me, yeah. Oh, my and God. And it's, like, coming out, like, super dark. This is literally a werewolf transformation. I know I've already said this, but <laughs> tea turns you into a werewolf at first. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Grow hairs. I've, like, heard, or I've seen TikToks of people, like, making fun of, like, you know... <laughs> like things that T does that they wish they knew before and it's like making fun of like how hairy you get <laughs> everywhere and I mean like everywhere <laughs> oh I was gonna talk about cause I forgot to talk about it last week but like mm-hmm. two weeks ago I went to Frank and, Frank and Sons Frank and Sons? yes Okay. It's whenever this... you first say I was like Frankincense. I was thinking of Frankenstein. This is another thing he like just said the word and I was like, don't tell me, don't tell me, don't tell me. Yeah. I don't even know what this is. So what is this? I went to this place in L- LA. Los-, Los Angeles. LA. LA. Sorry. <laughs> if you're from Cali, you that's what you call it. Nobody says Los Angeles. No, you said LA. You put an A at the beginning. No, I didn't. That's... I said LA. Okay, it, yeah, you said LA. My accent came out, okay? Saw your accent. It's my Forgot accent. Your, your English? Is that what was happening? Yes, it wasn't my wannabe English. Yes, yes. But anyways, this place in Los Angeles, it's basically, how do I, it's like a big-ass warehouse of many shops. Okay, that sounds sick. The way I compared it to is like, you know, at the Del Mar Far, at at the at the Del Mar at the Del Mar Fair. Yes, like you know that like part inside the building, how there's like many booths. just a bunch of stalls. And yeah, stuff. Like, basically yeah. Like stalls. It's kind of like that, but it's just like one warehouse. So big ass market. Big ass, basically a big ass market, and then okay. almost all of them sell like anime related stuff or like oh sick like pop Funkos. Um, so is your home now? Yeah, you moved there. <laughs> um, I definitely spent a lot of money there. Oh yeah. Um, we bought hella pops. Nice. Like I definitely need like two more shelves now. <laughs> but yeah, it was really cool. Like they had a lot of cool stuff. It was hard not to spend money. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't even know how many pops we. I think we bought like fourteen. Oh, <gasps> what the fuck? Yeah, yeah, you need we, a new shelf. Yeah, we we <laughs> bought quite a few. Like I bought, I think the rest of them or most of them mm-hmm. to complete my collection for the last Airbender. Oh, cool! And then I also bought uh, some Demon Slayer ones. Nice. I bought Dante from Google. Oh. 
I was so confused because I was like, what do you mean you bought Dante? <laughs> my dog. Yeah, I was thinking I of your dog. dog. <laughs> um, yeah, cool, because we had never seen that one, so we were like, fuck, we gotta get it. I didn't it. even know they had one. It's his namesake. Yeah, well, they had the Alebrije one, so it's when he's as like, colorful and stuff. Oh. And then Alaris got, like, some Wally ones, and then Cute. some um, up ones, like Carl and Doug. Oh. And then I can't remember. I got some, like, other ones. You got so many, you can't even remember oh, them all. Yeah. I got Mushu. Oh, cute. Yeah. I didn't yeah. even know that they had all, like, the different creatures and stuff. Oh, uh, yeah, me as either. As I literally was shook at, like, how many. And I was like, there's so many that I hadn't seen before. Yeah. And it was, like, super tempting to get all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Like I had saw I saw a bunch of Harry Potter ones that I I had never seen before and I was like fuck I want these. Next time you go, next time you have to pace yeah, yourself. Literally, literally, <laughs> that's what me and Alara said. We we're like, okay, okay, next time we'll 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 get the the Harry Potter ones. Those people were probably so hyped that you guys were there. They're like, oh hell yeah! I mean, <laughs> it was like, all the money. It was different vendors at each like. Oh okay. Yeah. Nice. But yeah, that was cool. That sounds so sick. It was. I think that's it for me. I can't think of anything else. Okay, respect. <laughs> How are you? I am good. Uh, yesterday we went to this thing. Speaking of, it was at the Del Mar Fairgrounds. Oh, yeah, uh, I saw you post about it. Yeah, we went to Beyond Van Gogh, which is an immersive art experience. It was very cool, actually. It was like a big ass fucking room with screens on all the walls, some screens in the middle that were like all really tall, screens on the floor, and it was just going and like showing all of his art and it was moving and it was saying some like quotes. And like before you even get into that huge room with all that, you go through like 15 different panels that like just like say parts of his life and like include little portions of letters he wrote to his brother. Mm-hmm. And it was really cool. One thing that me and Robert both thought was weird, though, is that they made no mention of the fact that he killed himself, which I feel like is very important to note. In his history, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, it goes to show, like, even though he was, like, this fantastic artist and stuff, he still had serious depression. You guys are just kind of skipping that part. (laughs) It's, like, a really big part of... (laughs) Yeah, it's literally the end of his life. (laughs) They, they like, mentioned how he, like, cut off his ear and stuff. And then they were just like, and that's all for now, folks. And I'm like, he died very young because he killed himself. You guys should mention this. Damn. But anyway, it was also kind of... Sorry, what? Oh, I was just going to say, it did look really cool, though. It's so cool. It sucks because it was, like, $40. But I enjoyed it. It makes me really want to go to the real museum, which is in Amsterdam, which is where I want to fucking live. So maybe I'll just live in the museum someday. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Another cringe part of it, though, is I was sponsored by Keurig. And like I said, like there was all these panels talking about his life. And it was like some of the ones like I think it was right after the one where they're talking about how he cut off his ear during like a fucking argument with someone. And then... It was like talking about how he checked himself into a psychiatric hospital. And right in between those was a display like, when your own Keurig. It's a bunch of Keurig stuff. And I was like, bro, <laughs> this is the worst. Why would you put this here? Like, this is a very emotional part of this journey. And you're just like, so cringy. That's funny, though. It was, yeah, it was awkward. And they had like little signs that were like, 
go this way but spelling it like his last name and i'm like please i love that yeah it was like it was a good pun i'll say that but it's so funny to read about this deeply troubled depressed person yeah they're like go over here (laughs) to get a keurig (laughs) Uh yeah but overall it was really cool i think that it travels like all over the place i know there's a couple other immersive van gogh stuff so Everyone should check it out. Google it. See if it's near you. It's really cool. I really like his art, though. Yeah, it's cool. And me and Robert were related to him because he was all the quotes about, like, failing a lot, trying to do stuff. And we're like, oh, this is us right now because we have no money. <laughs> <laughs> the struggle is real. Yeah. I maybe would have actually gotten emotional if it wasn't for that Keurig to break it up in the middle. <laughs> really brought me back to real life. Hey. And be like, wow, capitalism ruins everything. <laughs> But that made it memorable. You remembered that Keurig commercial. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> I do think it's funny because like Keurigs are Keurigs are the ones that have like the little containers, right? That you just put yeah, in. The little cups. It they were talking about how much he loved nature and finding beauty in nature and stuff. And they're like showing like the most wasteful product in the world. <laughs> <laughs> like, you guys, this doesn't match up. <laughs> that was kind of funny. But yeah, I, I would still recommend it. It was just a little parts that were like ironic like that. Yeah, that's funny. Other than that, I've gotten into a second wind with phasmophobia. I'm fucking obsessed. It's all I want to do is play phasmophobia again. Damn. It's so good. I feel bad because people do not like my streams as much when I'm playing phasmophobia. <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, our average viewer is going down anyway. It was like 8.9 which is fucking insane and now it's going back down to like six ish damn yeah i wanted to get 75 this year so we'll see how that goes hey the year is still early we barely it's, are in february it is still early it's so hard to get people to find your stream i literally don't understand how to but whatever but oh my god talking about it i'm like can we just stop recording and go play a game <laughs> it's so much fun we just started recording i know we've been recording for 20 minutes and i'm like we should get sober with there's ghosts waiting for me to hunt them you need to download that game i know well it's only 14 dollars. maybe soon okay <laughs> oh one other thing i started playing dungeons and dragons we officially started i don't know if i said that last week i think you did oh well we played again last night and robert's been watching these videos of people who are literally professional voice actors so already like they're doing a great job because basically you're role playing as your character. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's made him more critical of me playing because last night, like <laughs> this one dude that we play with literally sounds like Kronk. Like he has the Kronk voice in his when he does his character. And I like he was talking and I said something about like the poison for Cusco. And then like <laughs> People laughed, but Robert was like off the mic. He was like, Michelle, stay in character. And I was like, God, you need to stop watching these videos because it's now you're too critical of me and I don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) You're being too mean. I'm like, you're being harsh. (laughs) That's funny. That's cool though. It's really fun. I do have a really hard time staying in character because it feels awkward just looking at people and being like, oh, for it, what are you doing? Yeah, and my character's name is Lecria, and one of the guys keeps, like, accidentally saying Lucretia, and I'm like, you're adding, like, three letters to my name. You're making it so much longer. <laughs> Lucretia. Yeah, that's, like, multiple letters it's you're adding. off, here. yeah. Just a little. 
but yeah, D&D is really fun. I'm excited because old school RuneScape, you guys may not know, but like I play OSR sometimes. I'm fucking obsessed with it. I play like 40 hours a week. This is my job. <laughs> this is what I mostly stream. And when I play Phasmo, I have RuneScape on my other screen and I'm just AFKing stuff that I don't have to pay attention to. <laughs> but uh, they were talking about doing like a board game this year and a role-playing game similar to D&D. So oh, I'm shit. excited. Maybe I'll get you into RuneScape that way. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. We'll see. You're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get you someday. <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. But uh, I think that's all I've been up to. I felt so busy this week. And I think it's just because, like I said, I really want to play Phasma at all times. So I'm just like, I need to hurry and do shit. <laughs> I'm ready. Ready for your story. I switched so suddenly to being ready. <laughs> I know. You're like, okay, let's go. I'm like, Andy, can you just start your story already? <laughs> basically. Like, sheesh. Oh, it was funny too. Raiden already knows this, but my mom texted me and was like, oh, she, his voice sounds so different. And she's still a month behind. When she catches up, she's going to be like, what the fuck? Yeah, I was like, oh. <laughs> Robert still hasn't heard either. He'll hear that's, soon. That's crazy. I know. Okay. So when the fuck are you going to start? Like, what's happening? In, in about five minutes. <laughs> okay, cool. Let's just sit here and stare at each other. All right. Should I get started so you can play games? <laughs> yeah, finally. <laughs> uh, Ghosts aren't going to hunt himself. That's all I got to say. Sheesh. Okay. Damn. All right. So, yeah, I'm going to talk about Julio Gonzalez. All right. This man. Is yeah. he an arsonist? <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm, wait, I'm having a vision. He set a fire. <laughs> It's a one and done type of deal. Oh, okay. Interesting. It, yeah, you'll see. Okay. Julio Gonzalez was born on October 10th, 1954 in Olguin, Oriente Province, Cuba. Or Cuba. I said it the... Say it the fun way. <laughs> Cuba? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like if I say it like that, it sounds kind of fucked up. Why? I don't know. I, I just say it wrong. <laughs> I mean, that's how you say it. Cuba. <laughs> I don't ever want to say it again. <laughs> I'm never visiting there. I cannot because I could never tell people I've been there. <laughs> I can't even speak of it. That was the worst. I should can cut that out. Say, oh can you say Mexico? <laughs> Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> You literally turned so red. I'm never going there again either. Uh, that's how I'm, you actually pronounce it, though. I'm Mexico. the traveled person in the world because I just don't know how to pronounce anything. Everyone's like, Mexico. Mexico. Yeah, it was funny because I was actually talking to a coworker because uh, she asked me what my last name was. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, oh, it's Padilla. And then... She's like, oh, Padilla. Like, she was just making fun of me. She was just making fun of me. And I was like, you have no idea how, like, how many times I've heard that. <laughs> I was like, it's Padilla. At least Padilla. Like, if you're going to say it in English. I say Padilla. How do I yeah. say it correctly? No, yeah, that's correct. But some people say Padilla. And I'm like, no. It's, it's Padilla. It's not Padilla? <laughs> no, it's Padilla or Padilla. 
Adios. <laughs> okay. Dude. But yeah. She she just started making fun of me and she was like, quesadilla, tortilla. Oh, God. <laughs> she just, it was funny because she's like Mexican too, but she was just like making fucking fun around. Of me. Yeah, she was just fucking around. Dude, um, my last name's Cormier and it's spelled the French way. And so many people say Cormier. So mm-hmm. much so that like whenever me and Leah were little, like she, I remember a couple times she pronounced it Cormier, like being dead <laughs> serious. <laughs> <laughs> I just accept it now. I don't even correct people. I'm like, yeah, yeah, Cormier, whatever. Yeah, me <laughs> whatever too. the uh, fuck you want to say. I gave up. I'm just yeah, like, whatever. Like I understand what you mean. It's me. You know, you saying Padilla reminded me of last week talking about Dorothea, bruh. You said tortilla more than once. Did I? Yes. No. And at least I was because there was one that I cut out because we started laughing because you said tortilla. And uh, no, I said Dorothea. It's just my accent. Uh huh. Sure. But there's one that neither of us caught it, and I was editing, and I started laughing, and I was like, <laughs> tortilla. <laughs> But also, I can't judge you because, oh, God, this is embarrassing. You guys are coming out with the truth here. I was so tired when we were recording his half last week. Oh, my God. I had to cut parts of it out because I literally sound like an insane person. I don't even know what the fuck I'm saying. I'm just like, (laughs) I got so embarrassed editing that I had to stand up and take a walk around the apartment because I was like, I literally can't listen to myself be this stupid right now. So. Now I've realized if I'm tired, I could ask for a break. <laughs> you live and you yeah. learn, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Big true. I don't know why the fuck I was so tired at like 7 p.m. I don't I was probably Maybe, awake for like an hour. <laughs> yeah. But lack of sleep would do that to you. True. And bitches be crazy. Yeah. We should take that into consideration as well. I'm surprised I'm not dying right now. Uh, maybe because yeah. I had some caffeine. But I got three hours of sleep last night. How long have you been awake? Uh, 14 hours. Ew, my God. Yeah. I've been awake for three hours. It's 4 p.m. I woke up late today. <laughs> yeah, I've been awake since 2, oh, 2.20 in the morning. You know, sometimes having caffeine, because you said that might be helping you. Sometimes having caffeine makes me sleepy. Like, I've taken many naps after having coffee. I just drink it because it tastes good with a bunch of creamer. Same. I don't drink it for caffeine. I drink, I drink, it's more for the sugar taste than anything. No, literally. It's not even the caffeine. Robert always makes fun of me. He's like, you don't like coffee, you like creamer. And I'm like, yeah, yes. and? Me. That's me. <laughs> I've never like, said that I didn't like the creamer. <laughs> I like my coffee super light and sweet. Yes. Yeah. If it's brown at all, I'm like, what is this? It's like ill. <laughs> I just need to just drink creamer. It's <laughs> <laughs> point. Uh, we got mega sidetracked here. Yeah, we did. Let's and we're like, so up. coffee and creamer, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> and back to Cuba. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, I'm never. Yeah, no, I'm not saying it. <laughs> <laughs> Come least... on, say it again. Say it again. <laughs> okay, you say it first. Cuba. Cuba. Right? That was better. <laughs> it still just feels like I just sound stupid. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can just, never visit. <laughs> you don't sound stupid. You just sound white. 
There's a oh, same thing. No, <laughs> no. just kidding. What do you mean? <laughs> White is equal stupid. <laughs> I'm just being fun today. <laughs> I'm so crazy. I'm not like other girls, you guys. Oh my god, it was so random. <laughs> Let's all go to Cuba. Hey, there you go. That one sounded the worst. No, it didn't. Okay. Just keep lying to me. Oh, God, I'm going to cringe so hard editing this later. Oh, I shouldn't have done this. <laughs> You're probably going to uh, cur- cut it out. Yeah. We'll see what happens. All right. But yeah, he was born in Cuba. <laughs> you know, um, if I chose a story, that's what I'd be sticking with. <laughs> Uh, he served three years in prison in the 1970s for deserting the Cuban army because it was around that time. I think, what's his name? Was it Fidel? Fidel Castro? Yeah. I think it was around his time that he was okay. like on the rise or some shit. I'm not going to act like I'm great at history here. Me either. I'm going to let but... you take charge of this sentence. I'm pretty sure it was around that time and he was like in the army, but he was like, nah, fuck that. He basically <laughs> went AWOL and got caught, so he went to prison for it. You know, I can't lie. Like, I could fucking hate people. Like, this guy's probably not a good dude based on what we're talking about this week, but I am I would probably also get AWOL if I could. If I was, like, had to be in the army, I'd, I'd fucking run for it. I don't care. <laughs> I know I would. I'd be like, this is scary. I'm out. Yeah, fuck that shit on me. Yeah. <laughs> In 1980, when he was 25, he joined what became known as the Mario Boatlift, which was an effort organized by Cuban Americans and agreed to by the Cuban government that brought thousands of Cuban asylum seekers to the United States. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. It was later learned that many of the refugees had been released from jails and mental hospitals. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. But yeah, I guess they, they they found out later that Julio basically faked a criminal record. He said he was a drug dealer to gain passage onto the boat. Is that... Wait, he had to be a drug dealer to get over here? Well, I guess it was kind of like... I don't know exactly how it worked, but like... I think he had to go like through the army. Or like... He basically was a prisoner almost... To like have to cross or something. So if they if they saw he was a deserter, they wouldn't have let him in, probably. Yeah, that's so funny that being a drug dealer is better than being a deserter, right? It's <laughs> like okay. I don't. Yeah, I guess I don't know how I normally rate crimes like this, but. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he was able to get on the boat and he made it to Florida. He then traveled to Wisconsin and Arkansas. Um, before arriving and settling in New York. The city of dreams. <laughs> I've never been to New York. I know nothing about it. Me either. <laughs> I've only been to like two states. Well, three really? actually. Where? Okay, four. You're literally okay, adding so... <laughs> Bruh, okay, you've been to a lot of states. But... Okay, 25. 
Oh, it's because I just kept thinking about more and more. And I was like, oh, yeah, I went to Florida. And then I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, you were just in Florida like yeah, two days ago, it, basically. It was not two days ago. It was <laughs> last year. But like, I just kept remembering the more places I've been. I, I've never even been to another state. Well. Yes, you have. <laughs> I know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I've been to, I went to a lot of, not a lot, but like three states when I was little. But I don't even know if I should count those because I don't even fucking remember. I'm like, I've probably been to arizona i'm not 100 percent sure yeah i've been to arizona nevada oregon washington and florida yeah you've also been to dubai that like one-ups everything that's not that, like a thousand ups. yeah but you know it's way cooler let's be real here <laughs> yeah, yeah you I went to like a cool. didn't you go to like a fucking ferrari amusement park you said yep Ferrari yeah. world. See, we oh, don't have that, that shit. Cool. We don't have that shit in Arizona. No, you don't. <laughs> Definitely not. You got the heat though. <laughs> That's something. <laughs> I think I've been to Texas. That's one of the ones that I like. Don't even fucking remember. I feel like I saw a small tornado on a beach. That sounds such like a made up <laughs> thing, doesn't it? I don't know if that really happened. It was a dream. <laughs> yeah, my dad used to do weightboarding competitions though. It was really weird. That's so weird. Why did he do that? Anyway, he was dragging children to Texas for that shit. Wow. Me and Leah, I remember in Texas, we're playing a game with other little children whose parents were competing, and we're running across sand pits filled with red ants. Oh, my God. What a fun game we played. Y- y'all were wild, then. Yeah, we didn't know what to do, and no one was fucking watching us, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so Texas, Nevada, Oregon, Washington, maybe arizona i don't know why but i don't know for sure about arizona doesn't one of your grandmas live out there i've never visited her there oh yeah leah has yeah leah has multiple times she literally my grandpa's died and her boyfriend that she's made since then have both died and i've still never been there damn yeah well now i think it's like a curse if i go something bad will happen (laughs) wait no bad things happen because i'm not going that doesn't make sense it's reverse curse (laughs) She's See, there you should have gone. <laughs> I should have gone. It was all my fault. But yeah, it's every time she asked me to go, she's like, oh, when are you going to visit? And then she's like, by the way, it was 100 million degrees today. And I'm like, never. Yeah. I'm not going to visit you. <laughs> that's awful. Move back to California. <laughs> yeah, it's hot out there. I'll and actually, the few times that I've gone, the elevation like change fucks me up. Like it makes you sick or what? Well, I didn't even know that's a thing. Yeah, Weird. like I get like a a fat headache, and I just feel like but Ew. Okay, I'm gonna tell my grandma that and be like, I heard that the elevation will fuck with me. <laughs> I mean, it's only if you're sensitive to it. I'm probably sensitive. I don't know if I'm sensitive. Do you want me to find out? What if I like <laughs> get really sick? <laughs> you won't get that sick. Like it's just kind of a headache, and then you just kind of like feel weird almost. That's so strange. Like, almost like lightheaded. You're not selling Arizona to me right now. I must say. It's cool. Go to the Grand Canyon. I was going to say, I want to go to the Grand Canyon. (laughs) I want to go visit my grandma and drive four hours out of the way to see the Grand Canyon. Yes. Go to the Grand Canyon and then go visit a Dutch Bros. I'm into Dutch Bros. They're my hometown. Oh, yeah. I grew up on that shit. The day that I shit my pants, I had Dutch Bros. 
Supposedly, they're opening one up here in Esco. Really? Yes. Yeah, I never liked them as much as everyone else liked it. I think oh, I, I think it's pretty. I good. prefer coffee at home because they never make it as sweet as I want anywhere I go. Really? So it's too sweet or never sweet enough. Starbucks, yeah. There's like, I think there's one drink that they make good, and it's like a seasonal one. I don't even remember what it is. But yeah, everything else is meh. Damn, there's actually this really bomb freaking coffee that I miss um, up in Washington. It's yeah? like a place only specific up there. Nice. I think it's called Roasters. Okay. I've never but, heard of oh it. Oh my god. It's, it's, they have this like white chocolate mocha drink and it's like that sounds fucking delicious it's like the perfect amount of sweet and like coffee it's so good i bet i would like it because we both agreed that we prefer cream over coffee so i feel like i could trust your judgment yes you would like it i think we got a bit sidetracked there what (laughs) what us never never I'm just trying to find my spot because, like, I don't even know what was what, what was the last thing we were talking about. <laughs> I think we're like two sentences in. He went to New York, <laughs> and then we stopped again for like twenty minutes. Yeah, you. Were. I'm exaggerating, but it was for a while. All right. Through his sponsor, the American Council for Nationalities, he assimilated into American society without incident. Later, he managed to secure a series of low-paying jobs, which gave him barely enough money to live in one of the most expensive cities in America. I was going to say, he chose a very expensive place to go yeah, to. So should have stayed in Arkansas, my dude. Right? Five or Wisconsin. Whole house. <laughs> in 1984, he was around 29 years old, he met a woman named Lydia Feliciano who worked as a coat checker in a social club named Happy Land in the East Tremont section of the Bronx. Okay. They soon began dating, and he moved into her apartment for the next few years. He drifted along, making very few friends, barely surviving, and living a life that was indefinitely better than that in Cuba. Oh god, my leg is cramping. We're killing it. <laughs> I know. It's horrible. It's going to be a long ass episode. Now, watch. I'm going to be like, speaking of cramps, let me tell you this 15 minute story. <laughs> of this one time, I got a cramp. <laughs> and then you're like, wait, wait, that happened to me too. <laughs> and then end it with, so that's why creamer is better than coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Anyways. the story. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I'm, like, trying to, like, figure out how to, like, put my notebook, but, like, still have the microphone in front of me. It's kind of hard. You need to get, like, a music stand to put your notebook on. That actually wouldn't be a bad idea. You're not wrong. (laughs) I just need to, like, find one. And maybe you can become a violinist at the same time. (laughs) I need to stop saying things because we're going to get reminded (laughs) of stories. That's like, I don't know about violinist. Violinist. (laughs) Violinist. It sounded like I said violence. I don't know about violence. (laughs) Anyways. Sorry, guys. Sorry, my little shits. (laughs) 
been we're both being very talkative today clearly i know it's like it's supposed to be a serious episode and we're over here like ah, i love coffee. when we laugh and then we're like and then there was death and yeah like, oh god <laughs> we did not remember what our next season was gonna be <laughs> all right the area of the East Tremont Avenue near Southern Boulevard in the Bronx is an area that has undergone a vast amount of ethnic, social, and economic change after the Second World War. Then a neighborhood of primarily Italian and Irish immigrants, it evolved into African-American community during the late 50s and 60s. During the 70s and 80s, the area became a vibrant business for the Hispanic immigrants from Puerto Rico, Honduras, Ecuador, and Mexico. Each ethnic group maintained its own culture, traditions, heritage, and the form of social clubs along the East Tremont Avenue, Southern Boulevard, and the surrounding neighborhoods. No one really knew how many existed since most of these clubs operated in violation of city ordinance. Ordin or ordinances. <laughs> Ordinances? <laughs> rules. Oh, city rules. God <laughs> damn. I like I'm... when we switch out our words. <laughs> we make it easier. Anyways, most of these were like basically underground illegal clubs. Like speakeasies almost. Almost, yeah. That sounds fun. Like literally, because most of them were usually located on the back street from like, they had like a front location basically. Oh, like literally a front for their club. Yeah. <laughs> like, That's literally. sick, actually. But yeah, I guess they had it that way, so obviously it wouldn't get shut down right away. Yeah. But yeah, I'm going to focus on this social club called Happy Land. Okay. You could probably guess why. <laughs> why? <laughs> Is it related to the story? No. I'm just okay. going to talk about it. But yeah, basically, it was just a pretty big Hispanic community of like many Hispanics from different places all over the world. <laughs> For basically, like <laughs> I had mentioned earlier, like Puerto Rico, Cuba, like just a large amount. But yeah. I guess most of them in this area were from Honduras. Okay, cool. I'm not. How, how do you pronounce it in English? You really gonna make me do this right now, Honduras. <laughs> I like how you like almost you whispering. Hate me. <laughs> Another I place I could you. never visit, no matter how bad I want. Actually, one of Alaris's cousins' girlfriend, or not one of them. I mean, his girlfriend. <laughs> one of his girlfriend. <laughs> so many. Play it, play it. His girlfriend. He. She's from Honduras. Oh, really? Yeah. That's sick. But yeah, Happy Land basically was the place to go for most of the Hondurans. Um, they basically catered to them. They had like um, the Homeland beer from oh, over there. Cool. I think it was called Sala Vida. Nice. That they actually like sold there. <laughs> um, and they also, Happy Land also sponsored a soccer team for the neighborhood youth. Cute. Happy Land was a major attraction for the Honduran and Dominican communities in East Vermont. It was a place where immigrants could catch a glimpse of the old country, interact, and be with fellow countrymen and women. That's cute. Um, 
I mean, yeah, I guess it was kind of like a home away from home almost. Yeah, a slice of home in New York. Yeah, which I think is like really cool. Definitely. I do have to note that Happy Land was ordered to close oh. for building code violations in November of 1988. Uh, violations included lack of fire exits, alarms, or sprinkler system. Oh, no. And I guess... You guys remember the theme this week? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I guess no follow-up by the fire department was documented. That sucks. Mm-hmm. But yeah, now I'm just going to get into it. All right, let's go. So on the evening of the fire, Julio was intoxicated and upset. He had recently broken up with his girlfriend and had lost his job at a lamp factory in Queens. He was also two weeks behind on his on rent of his room. The owner of the boarding house where he was staying was quoted saying, from what I know, he was down to his last hope. Damn. Like, they were my, my dude out, was, huh? yeah, my dude was depressed. Like, he was not doing well. Yikes. So on the night of March 25th, 1990, Julio showed up to Happy Land Club to visit his former girlfriend. At the bar, he drank beer and argued with Olivia, whom he had been living with on and off for six years. Holy shit, that's a long time. Yeah, that was a long time. <laughs> There were also words about Lydia's employment at the club and how Julio wanted her to quit, but she refused. Lydia, okay. wait, side note, he wants her to quit this job that she was probably helped pay for him to live because he's broke. Mm -hmm. Where would he want her to work instead? She's probably, I don't know. She was probably fucking providing for him. Yeah. Well, basically, right. he was very, like... Controlling. I guess in, we, we call him machista. Oh, yeah, we've gone over this before. Yeah. Very man's man. He should provide. Yes, exactly. Ugh. Just or very like... old-fashioned in a very sexist way. Exactly. <laughs> the I'm worst either. part is he wasn't providing. I'm like, what do <laughs> <laughs> you expect him to do? Yeah, I don't know. Him? I guess he just didn't like her working there and was like, you know, you'll see. Yeah. But, yeah, I guess... Lydia didn't want much to do with him anymore and refused to even take him back. Like, she was like, nah, like, we're done. Good for her. Um, she told him that she had lots of potential boyfriends and that her family had already pressured her into to end the relationship. Damn. But, you know, he was intoxicated and persisted until Lydia, like, literally tried to leave him at the bar. Mm -hmm. But that's when he, like, he tried to, like, grab her. You know, oh, toxic man. Yeah. But that's when a bouncer intervened and basically kicked him out of the club. Nice. Julio became even angrier and argued with the bouncer, stating that that's my woman, not yours. <laughs> Total Bruh. toxic boy. Is that what the bouncer was saying? You didn't no. get out of here so I can hit on her. <laughs> no, not even. It was just kind of like, yo, you got to get out of here. And he's over here like, duh. Yeah, that's my woman. I'm like, that's this, my woman. It's not relevant, bro. You're acting like an so asshole. She, she's not a, <laughs> she's not property, sir. Yeah. After being kicked out of the club, he apparently kept yelling, saying things like, "This will be your last night working here. I'll be back. I'll shut this place down for good." Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, if I were the bouncer. I don't think I take that seriously, if I'm being honest. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, drunk dude, whatever the fuck yeah, you say. Yeah, he didn't. 
He's in People probably say shit like that all the time when they get kicked out. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what they said happened is he just kind of stood outside to make sure he wouldn't go back in and just he heard him say all that, but like, you know, he was like, oh, this guy's drunk, like, whatever. Yeah. Lydia did also hear and she says that she she did like get scared, like she did try to warn a few people. Really? Yeah. Aww. But yeah, he eventually walked away and the bouncer returned back upstairs. Julio was enraged. He had no job, no money, and no, basically, nothing to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing he really had going for for him in his life was Lydia, and she had just dumped him. So <laughs> uh. he was very mad, to say the least. He walked over to East Tremont and Crotona Parkway, where the idea of burning Happy Land first came to him. He walked three blocks away to an Amoco gas station at 174th Street and Southern Boulevard. On the way, he found an empty one-gallon Blackhawk hydraulic jack oil container. You just found it? Yeah, he just found it. The fuck? And so he took it to the gas station. And inside the gas station, 23-year-old Edward Porras... A Lehman College freshman was working his first day on the job. Oh, his first day? Yes. Oh, he must have been so traumatized after. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I guess Julio was like trying to buy gas, but Edward was like, no, like, I'm not just going <laughs> to sell you gas. <laughs> but I guess, you know, Julio made up a story that his car had broke down and he just needed, you know, enough gas to like bring it or whatever. And yeah. I guess another man was like hanging around the gas station and basically told Edward, the attendant, that he knew Julio and that like it was fine, you know, like it was oh, good. Oh, they both probably regret so much about that night. Mm. Oh. So yeah, Julio gave Edward one dollar and filled the container. So at about 3.30 a.m., Julio approached the East Tremont Avenue carrying his $1 worth of gasoline. He walked the 50 feet from the corner to the street-level entrance to Happy Land. There was no one standing in the doorway at that time. All the customers who were usually out, out front were upstairs drinking and dancing to the DJ music. The building itself seemed to rock from the pulsating music. Julio, full of beer and anger, his sense of machismo deeply wounded, spilled gasoline onto the floor and the steps of the hallway. Several patrons who were at the top of the steps saw him in the shadows below but thought nothing of it. When he finished dumping the gas, he stepped back. Julio lit two matches and threw them onto the floor. Immediately, the gas ignited. The fire quickly flamed up but remained confined inside the hallway area between the two doors, the one that led to the street and the inside door that led upstairs. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Julio walked across the street and watched. <gasps> inside Happy Land, Lydia actually saw the flames behind the door and she actually like tried to alert people really quick. She like actually like Screamed and she was like, Fuego, which translates to fire. Fire, yeah. Um, 
and well, because she was in the coat check area, which I believe I'm assuming it was on the first floor. Oh, okay, yeah. And um, um, twenty three year old Roberto, uh, Greta, who was at Happy Land since midnight, was picking up his coat and preparing to leave with Orban Nuez Cayela when he heard the yelling. He and his friends saw the flames fully engulf the entranceway. They thought they had no way out, but Lydia led them to a little used door on the north side of the club. When the terrified group reached the exit, they found that the outside metal gate was in a down position, preventing them from opening the door. What the fuck? Yeah, it was definitely stressful. Frantically, one of the men managed to reach between the door and the gate with great effort and raise the metal barrier up enough to open the door. They ran out onto Southern Boulevard, not realizing at the time how truly lucky they were. On the second floor, the music was blasting and most in the crowd were unaware of what was happening. They had no way of knowing that they had just minutes to live. The fire burned ferociously within the enclosed hallway, and the inside door began to glow red from heat. The DJ, Ruben Valadares, saw what was happening and tried to warn the crowd. He could see the fire down below from the second floor landing. He stopped the music, turned on the lights, and screamed to the crowd. Some people began to take notice and tried to exit. They crowded around the stairway to go down, but they were turned back by smoke and the heat. The situation was becoming desperate, but Ruman decided to take his chances. He bounded down the steps, bypassing the partygoers, crawling between their legs, and crashed through the inside door, tumbling into the street below. Whoa. Yeah, like, he actually, like, ran through it all. Oh. He lay on the sidewalk, smoldering. His clothes burned off. He was badly injured, but he survived. Oh. But it kind of, like, fucked up things for everyone else. Really? How? Um. Well, since he opened the door, basically, that oxygen. Fuck. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, basically, they created, like, a big-ass, like, like, almost like a draft of oxygen. So within seconds, that, like, expanded, basically. And it all just, like, went up in flames? Bas- um, basically. So, Fuck, yeah, it just it just became... The staircase just, like, filled up with black smoke. Oh, no. And as... It just basically increased dramatically, like, doubled in size. Um, It was then that, like, the fire became... Like, they they all realized, basically. And soon the crowd was on the dance floor, that was on the dance floor, was in a full panic with the black smoke poured into the room. There were no windows. Oh, I was going to ask, was there any windows? Nope. It was a 60 by 20 feet. Like, it was kind of small. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess some people extinct extinct instinctively fell to the floor face down where at least they could breathe if only for a few seconds for some it was already too late those sitting at the tables had already inhaled the poisonous gases and a few breaths of such a mixture is all it takes 
Some... I didn't know that. I didn't, you know, didn't that. know that. I didn't know it was that fast. I I guess it is. Ew. Well, just oh. because they were, I saw an article of how it's like carbon monoxide mixed with like just. It's literally like poison gas, almost. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And especially because there was, like, no ventilation or anything, and it was, like, a club, so there was, like, alcohol and everything. Yeah. And also in that article, it says that in fires, most people die from actual, like, smoke inhalation Mm -hmm. versus, like, like, the fire itself. I thought for some reason smoke inhalation took a while. No, I guess it's quick. I guess that makes sense because most people would die from actual fire if the smoke took a while. Yeah. Oh my god, I've never wanted to go in a room without windows ever again. (laughs) Holy shit. Some patrons were later found sitting at their tables still clutching their drinks. Like, that's how, like, quick it was. Yeah. Fuck. Fuck, fuck. Those closest to the stairwell died first. Um, there were 19 bodies later found in a pile. Some had severe burns, but all died from smoke inhalation. Oh. And yeah, the fire basically basically took over the fucking building. Mm-hmm. And people were heard screaming and like basically fighting each other to try to get like out. Oh my god. But um, in less than three minutes, the second floor was filled. With, like, fire. Fuck. But yeah, meanwhile, outside of the club on Southern Boulevard, pedestrians had heard the muffled screams coming from the second floor. And they obviously saw Ruben, who was, like, freaking dying on the street. Just... Like, literally Yeah, like, literally, like, screaming from the agony. But he was the only one to escape from the second floor. I thought you were going to say some other people were able to because you said people dropped to the ground. Oh, that's probably just how they were found. Clearly, they were trying to breathe. I would just want to be the oblivious ones with my drink, not knowing what's fucking going on. <laughs> oh, my God. That's a nightmare. But, yeah, the fire department had been notified. It received the alarm at 3.41 a.m. So, like, mm-hmm. literally, like, 10 minutes. Because I think, I think I said that he got there around... 3.30? Something like yeah. that. So, so literally like about 10 minutes. It was probably way too late by then. Yeah, it was. Firefighters from the ladder company 58 arrived at the scene. When firefighters first drove on the block, they had no idea of the magnitude of the fire. It was very quiet inside Happy Land. There were no screams. There was no sound at all. As the firefighters applied water to the hallway on the steps, they saw several bodies. They entered into the darkness and began to pull out several victims. Soon the numbers multiplied. The rescuers found a total of 19 bodies, and as bad as it was, they thought at least it was over. But they were gravely mistaken. What? Other firemen began to climb the steps up onto the second floor as they entered the darkened room the floor felt strange under their feet they tripped over piles of clothes and unknown bundles but slowly the horrible truth dawned on them they were walking and crawling on bodies oh 
Everywhere the firemen aimed their flashlights, they saw bodies piled upon bodies. Um, this was a quote. What we saw was like the scene of an after a battle of any war movie. Mm-hmm. Only this was real. And then another firefighter, Assistant Chief Frank Nastro. Um, he said that the scene was paralyzing. We stood there numb. No one spoke. There were 69 bodies spread about the area. They all could have been sleeping. Well, you said there's over 60? 69. I thought this was going to be like 30 or something. Nope. Fuck. For the men of the New York City Fire Department who worked the fire, they would never forget the horrors of that night. Special units were actually sent out to all firehouses whose members worked at the Happy Land scene to help the, like, basically emotional stress and all that, like, freaking traumatizing. traumatizing. Yeah. But, yeah, basically it was a total of 87 bodies. Oh, my God. So they found even more later. Well, yeah, because it was the original 19, just Mm -hmm. on the first floor by the, like, stairwell. And then another... I don't know what 87 minus 19. Another like 60 something. What the fuck? Yeah. But yeah, it was definitely a big ass fire. A total of 150 firemen had responded to that blaze. Oh my god. It was actually the worst fire in New York City since the notorious Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire. Holy shit. Yeah, which by strange coincidence occurred also on March 25th, 1911, exactly 79 years before Happy Land. Weird. Right? I was like, what the, what are the odds? Yeah. I guess one out of 365. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was like crazy though. That's extremely unlikely. But yeah, I mean, if you don't know about that fire, it killed 146 people. Fuck. All you had to say was factory, and I was already like, okay, this sounds oh, yeah. fucking massive. Yeah. I remember le- like learning about it in school and watching like a documentary or some shit. Sounds upsetting for school, but okay. Yeah. But yeah, that... That fire actually inspired many reforms in the fire code and safety laws in New York City. Mm-hmm. But yeah, after setting the blaze, Julio had stood in front of the club and watched it burn. Then he calmly walked across the street and waited for a few minutes as the fire began to take hold. He stayed long enough to watch firefighters put out the fire and saw them carrying out the first body while he sipped a beer. Dude. Mm-hmm. He then walked a few yards over to the East Tremont Avenue and boarded the number 40 bus westbound. On the bus ride home, he began to cry, thinking about what he had done. Good. He went directly to his apartment, which consisted of one crapped room. And one of his neighbors actually later told police that she saw him arrived around like 4, 4.15. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, he went to 
his apartment building and he actually went to one of his neighbor's house. His neighbor, they were good friends or friends, not, I don't know about good friends. Yeah. But Pedro Rivera, but his girlfriend answered. And he, he basically told his friend's girlfriend that he had trouble at Happy Land and started crying and he said that he had killed Lydia and that he burned the club down. Basically, he confessed. Um, oh but- my god, if I was this girlfriend, I'd be fucking terrified. <laughs> Holy shit. Well, she actually didn't believe him because she oh, like she drunk, noticed, huh? yeah, because he was drunk. So she yeah. was like, "Dude, just go home and go to sleep." Like, yeah, chill the fuck out. <laughs> it's like four in the morning. What are you doing, waking me You're up? Just drunk. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he ended up going to his apartment, removed his. He was soaked in gasoline, by the way. Uh, he re- basically removed all his clothes and fell asleep. Oh my god. Um, at about 4 p.m. that same day, detectives Kevin Maroney and Andy Lugo went over to his apartment and locked on the door. And they basically were like, hey, we need to talk to you because obviously Lydia survived. So she told them about the like argument they had and what he had said. Yeah. So obviously he was suspect number one. Good. But yeah, so the detective said that when Julio opened the door, they were immediately overwhelmed by the odor of gasoline. The neighbor didn't even notice. How funny. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> or maybe they did, but like they were too tired to care or something. That's fair. At four in the morning, if someone came knocking, I'd be like, I wouldn't know what the fuck is going on. Or maybe she mistaked it for alcohol. That could be it too, yeah. I don't know. But yeah, they basically asked him to go to the police station to talk about the fire. Um, He didn't seem too upset at the time. And what Detective Maroney said that he, I guess he wasn't surprised to find Julio sleeping. Oh. I guess they are familiar with the curious uh, sleep habits of criminals. (laughs) They know that even after the most horrendous crimes immanageable, suspects will fall asleep like basically in the police car at the station during booking in cuffs like anywhere they're just exhausted Which, yeah i was like uh, i find that interesting yeah but yeah i guess he put on his still soaked shoe gasoline shoes and went with them oh god so he was taken to the station and read his miranda rights and he agreed to talk about the incident Detective Maroney said that he turned to get a cup of coffee, and before he could give it to him, Julio immediately began to confess. Jesus. He said, we practically didn't even have to ask him anything. He told police that he set the fire for revenge against Lydia. He said that he was angry she broke up with him and wouldn't take him back. His quote, I don't know, it looks like something bad got into me. It looks like the devil got into me. He was later arraigned in the Bronx Criminal Court at 2 a.m. on 87 counts of murder. The worst mass murder in American history to that time. In a highly unusual move, Bronx District Attorney Robert Johnson handed the court appearance himself in front of Judge Alexander Hunter. Oh, wow. Which I was like, serious. Kind of a big deal. (laughs) Yeah. 
Julio was held without bail and taken to a local psychiatric ward where he was held as a suicide risk. Oh, I forgot to mention this earlier, but most of the victims were, they were, um, most of them were young Hondurans. Oh. And they were celebrating the carnival. Oh. Yeah. But more than 60 were of Honduran descent. Holy shit, that's a huge portion. Yeah. Uh, more than 90 children became orphans that day or oh night. Oh my god. And over 40 parents lost their children. Some lost more than one. That's devastating. But yeah, I guess even five students died. Oh my god! Like high school students. That's so sad. Well, yeah, it was. There was almost no one in the Honduran community who was not affected in some way by the ter- tragedy. Even in Honduras itself, the towns and villages of those who were killed were like, basically everyone knew someone. Yeah, and they're all grieving. Yeah, and even in Honduras, like they were talking about it, oh. and they're like their their news and stuff. Mm-hmm. The trial of, of Julio Gonzalez was held in the Bronx in the summer of 1991. Judge Burton B. Roberts bent over backwards to ensure the proceedings were conducted in a fair and legal manner. The evidence against Julio was overwhelming. His gasoline-soaked clothes, his many admissions to friends on the night of the event, the recovered container, multiple statements of witnesses, and his own lengthy and detailed um, confessions to Detective Maroney and Lugo. On August 19, 1991, Julio Gonzalez was found guilty in one of the worst mass murderers in American history. After four days of jury deliberations, he was convicted of arson charges and 174 counts of murder, two for each victim killed in the fire. Goddamn. Yeah. Um, The verdict took over five minutes to read and was announced at 1 p.m. when the jury foreman, Luis Rodriguez, repeated the word guilty an unprecedented 174 times. Holy shit. I was like, damn, imagine having to say that like that many times. I would not want to be the foreman. (laughs) Yeah, me either. (laughs) I would just say guilty times 174. (laughs) Right, same. (laughs) (laughs) Like, is this necessary? (laughs) But yeah, I guess while he read the verdict, Julio just sat there. Just like, I guess he just looked defeated. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, yeah, I would too. (laughs) And on September 19th, 1991, he was sentenced to 25 years to life on each of the 174 counts of murder, a sentence that was without equal in New York State history. However, he could still be released after 25 years since in New York, any sentence for an act committed during a single offense must be served concurrently, not consecutively. Oh, that makes sense. The judge was an OG because he gave Julio the maximum allowed sentence. Oh, that's good. But yeah, some 
some relatives obviously were upset because they basically were like, that's not enough because 25 years equals only three months for each murder. Yeah. We say like that does not sound like yeah, much. It's definitely not, but I mean, he wasn't eligible for parole until March 2015. Wow. Did he get it? No. Okay. Well, that's what I kind of figured that he's <laughs> not going to get it. He killed like 80 people. Um, but yeah, the street outside the former Happy Land Social Club was renamed the Plaza of the 87. In memory of the victims. Yeah, I'm like, fuck. Five of the victims were students at a nearby Theodore Roosevelt High School, which had a memorial service for the victims in April of 1990. Oh, they probably felt so cool going out to a club. Right? Oh. I was like, that's so sad. A monument stands in memory of the victims. It's an eight-foot-tall concrete obelisk surrounded by a high metal gate. Fence, not gate. (laughs) On the sides of the structure, the names of the victims are engraved in the stone. A final reminder of the 87 lost lives. Across the street, the club that was once Happy Land remains vacant and probably will be for many years. Many of the families have since moved away. Some returned to Honduras, taking their grief with them. In 1995, a civil lawsuit was settled for $15 million. Oh, wow. Yeah. And the same judge presided over the civil trial. Oh, really? Yeah. He, Are like, you... made sure. <laughs> he wanted to see this all the way through. Which oh, I think yeah, is, apparently. like... I was like, that's pretty cool, though. Yeah. But, yeah, all the funds were distributed to each of the victims' families. And like I said earlier, Julio was denied parole in March of 2015. He would have been eligible to apply for parole again in November of 2016, but he died in prison of a heart attack September 13th, 2016, at the age of 61. That is pretty young. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's surprising. Okay. I did not see that coming. But yeah, that's the story of... The jilted lover, Julio Gonzalez. Who became a mass murderer. An arsonist. Why don't you ever just not do that? Right? Just go home and cry like a normal person. Right? God. (laughs) So this week, I'm going to be talking about Bruce George Peter Lee. Bruce, who was actually born Peter Dinsdale, was born on July 31st, 1960 in Manchester, England. He was born with epilepsy and a congenital spastic hemophagia in his right limbs, which gave him like a limp in his right leg and a compulsion to keep his right arm across his chest. Like he was low-key partially paralyzed on his right side. Oh, damn. Until the age of three, Bruce lived with his grandma, but later went on to live with his mom and her husband until the pair split. And at times, he also lived in children's homes, but I'm not sure at what ages. Until the age of 16, he attended a school specifically for the physically disabled. In 1979, Bruce's mom married a man with the last name Lee, which inspired Bruce to legally change his name to Bruce Lee as a homage to the martial arts legend. Uh, That's funny. Yeah. 
His name's Peter Dinsdale, but his legal name is Bruce Lee. That's why I made sure to say like Bruce George Peter Lee to be like, I'm not just gonna call this guy Bruce Lee. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> nah, you shouldn't. <laughs> Bruce wasn't the most accepted child and was often thought of as being odd. This continued into adulthood when while working as a laborer, he was given the nickname Daft Peter. Literally, his coworkers just called him stupid, basically. On the night of December 4th, 1979, Edith Hastie, along with her four sons, Thomas and Charles, both 15, Paul, 12, and Peter, 8, were all fast asleep. Edith actually had three more children, all girls, who were staying with family elsewhere that evening. And her husband, Tommy, was in prison at the time, so it was just her and her boys in the house. That night, a fire engulfed the hasty home, leaving the family trapped inside. Edith was actually able to be rescued by her son, Charles, who pushed her out of an upstairs window. But he himself was unable to help his brothers, Paul and Peter, as he became trapped with them in a bedroom after a window that he opened to, like, escape actually just became, like, more fuel for the fire, you know? Kind of like you were saying thomas who had muscular dystrophy was also able to escape via window in the back bedroom away from more severe fires but charles paul and peter all suffered severe burns and were taken to the specialist burn unit in west yorkshire charles ended up passing away that night from his injuries peter also succumbed two days later and paul lasted 12 days before he too died so edith lost three children that night in response to the fire, police began to ask locals about, like, what had happened and, like, does anyone want to hurt the family? And they were really shocked to find a lot of people were, like, super indifferent about the deaths of these three boys, as the Hasties had been regarded as a problem family who were responsible for petty crime and vendettas. This indifference came to a head at the joint funeral held for the boys in January of 1980 when Edith, like, had a fucking public outburst over the lack of sympathy for the loss of her sons and just, like, called everyone out. Realizing that the local community wasn't the biggest fan of the Hasties, police began to look for a suspect who may have wanted to seek revenge against them. Bruce actually volunteered to speak to them routinely as part of the investigation. Six months after the fire, he ended up confessing to the attack. The night of the fire, he claimed that he had poured kerosene into the letterbox of the home and set it afire to get revenge on Charles Hasties, but he said he hadn't meant to kill anyone. So apparently, Bruce and Charles had had some kind of sexual content, but as Bruce was 19 and Charles was 15 and therefore a minor, Charles threatened to go and tell police about what they'd done unless Bruce gave him money. I don't know if it was consensual or what, but... Yeah, 19 and 15, big fucking age difference. <laughs> as well as this, Bruce had become infatuated with Charles's sister, Angelina, who rejected him on multiple occasions. And apparently these rejections led to, like, the entire Hasties family ridiculing Bruce over his unrequited feelings. I should say, Brayden is eating a burger on mute. I am getting raised eyebrows, people. While confessing to the Selby Street Fire, Lee dropped a bomb on the police. This was not the first time he had done this. According to Bruce, he had set nine more deadly fires over the previous seven years, resulting in the deaths of 15 people. None of these fires had been previously even considered results of arsons and were all basically just found to be the result of misadventure. What? So just like that, they had a serial killer. 
<laughs> Damn. I don't know how neither of us have ever heard of this person before. I know I haven't. Yeah, I haven't either. Apparently, he, like, this was all happening at the same time uh, as, like, the Yorkshire Ripper. So, that case was getting more popularity. Which, this case is fucking insane. So, I don't know why people aren't talking about it as much. Yeah, that's crazy. So, on June 23rd, 1973, 12-year-old Bruce set fire to the Ellerington home. Inside was a six-year-old classmate from the same special needs school as Bruce named Richard, along with his parents, siblings, and two house guests. As his family and the guests fled the home, thinking that Richard was with them, he had actually been trapped inside of his bedroom and ended up dying in the fire. At the time, it was believed that the fire had been caused by a gas leak from the oven. Bruce took his next victim at just 13 years old on October 12, 1973. 72-year-old Bernard Smith was trapped in his lounge with the fire that ultimately took his life. Kerosene was found at the scene, but was attributed to a kerosene heater that Smith had been using and had been knocked over, so they thought he just, like, knocked it over and a candle set it on fire. I, I don't know what the fuck was up with this fire department at the time. <laughs> There's this many fires, and they're like, ah, these accidents. Just weeks later, on October 27th, Bruce struck again. 34-year-old David Brewer, who had been partly incapacitated due to a work incident, was sleeping on a couch in the apartment that he shared with his mother, who happened to be out at the time, when he woke up on fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His eyebrows went up, everyone. Neighbors came to his rescue and doused him using wet towels, but after eight days of trying to survive, he passed away in the hospital, never even able to speak during that time. The only fire damage in the flat was to the couch and the surrounding floor, but there were rumors that perhaps David had been, like, drying some wet clothes by a fire, and they had caused him to literally catch on fire. I don't I don't know. I feel like there would be more fire damage if it came from that, but I don't know the layout of his house. In reality, Bruce was friends with the son of David's neighbor, and he had snuck in and set him on fire in retaliation for David striking him days earlier during an argument they had about keeping pigeons. Apparently, Bruce liked pigeons. I saw nothing more on that, but it is mentioned again. <laughs> this is not the last mention of pigeons. Elizabeth Rocair was an 82-year-old widow with weak legs and bad eyesight. On December 23, 1974, she died when Bruce set her living room on fire, the room that she slept in. Elizabeth had been noted as being very careful while smoking, and she made sure to like set drying clothes to the side of fires as opposed to the front for safety, but an investigation concluded that she must have accidentally started the fire while smoking in bed. Again, these investigations are just ass. On June 3rd, 1976, one-year-old Andrew Edwards was being babysat by his great-grandma along with his older brother and sister, who were also both little kids. After putting the baby to bed, the grandmother went downstairs and discovered a fire in a cupboard. She quickly grabbed the two kids and took them to a neighbor to wait for the fireman to arrive. Only when asked by the neighbor if anyone else was inside did she remember that she had put baby Andrew upstairs to go to sleep. Unfortunately, he did not survive, and he was killed in the flames. An investigation found that Andrew's brother must have accidentally set the fire while playing with matches, but in fact, it had been started by Bruce. The grandmother was so upset and obviously fucking traumatized by this tragedy that she was committed to a mental hospital. I cannot even fucking imagine 
the guilt you would feel you got two of your grandkids out that's and so you forgot sad. the third yeah it's probably just because he was a baby so she's like not as used to being like all three of them maybe and she could have been like tired too and just i don't know and she that's was a great grandma so i'm assuming she was older yeah oh that's scary probably was like sleep deprived yeah three kids and one of them a one-year-old nah mm. i've been there it sucks <laughs> yeah that's sad bruce knew the thacker family as they shared an interest in pigeons i know pigeons but <laughs> he ended up having a falling out with them after he would continuously let himself into their home unannounced to get revenge on them, he set their home on fire and caused the death of a six-month-old baby named Katrina. The rest of the family, including a toddler, was able to escape, though. On April 27, 1977, 13-year-old Deborah Hooper and 7-year-old Mark Jordan became victims of Bruce's fires. Mark had been staying at the Hooper home along with his brother and dad, who had been sleeping in the house's lounge. So Mark's father woke up to the fire and ran upstairs to warn everyone, and the Hoopers, too, began to, like, rush to get their two daughters, Mark and Mark's brother, out of the home. While two of the children made it out, Mark and Deborah were nowhere to be seen. It's believed that Mark had gone back into the home to try and help Deborah out because she was mentally disabled, and they had both been overcome with smoke. An investigation came to the conclusion that a cigarette left burning had caused the fire, although there wasn't really much evidence to support this claim. Little Mark was later recommended for a posthumous bravery reward for trying to save Deborah. A little seven-year-old ran back in to save her. It was fucking devastating. That's sad. Yeah. 24-year-old Christine Dixon had been outside talking to a neighbor when she noticed smoke coming from her home and ran instinctively inside in an attempt to rescue her four young children and a sick husband. As far as I could tell, he wasn't, like, deathly sick or anything. Like, probably just had, like, a cold, you know? She was able to make it to her baby, whom she took outside hand off to a neighbor before running back in, but she became trapped in the house. Her husband was miraculously able to make it out of the home, but Christine and three of her sons... Five-year-old Mark, four-year-old Stephen, and 16-month-old Michael all perished. This is the fucking wildest one. An investigation into the fire suggested that two of the younger boys had found matches and set themselves on fire. How, okay, how does one person even accidentally set themselves on fire, but two? What the fuck, bro? Yeah, a claim which their surviving father and their neighbors always denied as being impossible. Christine was given a posthumous award for bravery. As well as all these fatal cases, there were potentially hundreds of other fires that had been started by Bruce over the years. Some had been empty buildings that caused property damage, but others had caused serious injuries like burns and smoke inhalation damage. Initially, police thought there was absolutely no way that this young man had been responsible for so much death and destruction, but they began to believe him as they drove him around and he pointed out places where he'd started fires. They even tried to trick him and, like, take him to a place where, like, there had been a fire, but they already found the guy who did it, but they would, like, drive him over and he'd be like, no, I didn't do this one. Bruce was reportedly quoted as saying, I am devoted to fire. Fire's my master and that is why I caused these fires. And according to an unconfirmed source, because it was a portion of a book that I could not find to read, <laughs> upon finding out that some of his fires had caused people to die, he found peace in reading the Bible, but he felt no need to stop or confess. 
On January 20th, 1981, Bruce pled not guilty to murder charges, but guilty to manslaughter on the grounds of diminished responsibility. He was thereby sent to a mental health hospital to serve out a life sentence. One of the fires that Bruce claimed to have started took the lives of 11 elderly men in a residential home. These charges were included in the sentence, but a few years after his trial in 1983, a public inquiry concluded that this fire had actually been an accident, like a real-life accident, and that Bruce lied about starting it. Following this investigation, the 11 manslaughter charges for these deaths were removed from Bruce's convictions. In late 2021, literally like this happened like four months ago, Bruce's legal team announced that they would be appealing his conviction. So his lawyer spoke about the appeal, saying that at the time Bruce was an unreliable narrator and that no credit should have been given to his pleas of guilty, as besides the confession, there was absolutely no evidence. They claim at the time of his confession, Bruce had been on an alcohol-driven bender and that given his low IQ, learning difficulties, personality disorder, and other personal characteristics which exist at the time of the confessions, he should have had some sort of like lawyer or another responsible adult present with him. His lawyer even goes so far as to say that, according to an expert, some of Bruce's written confessions contain parts that appear to have been rewritten by a senior police officer. His lawyer argues that it would have been physically impossible for Bruce to start some of the fires due to his disability, because like I said, he couldn't move the rights of his body that much. To me, that doesn't sound like it could really deter him. I'm sure if you're born with that disability, you're probably really used to just doing stuff with your left hand. Yeah, you learn how to live with it. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think it would be impossible to light a match, but I don't know. According to the lawyer, Bruce may have had to travel as much as two hours to get to one of the fire's locations, and that in another one, a little boy had confessed to playing with matches beforehand. But as of the time I researched, there have been no updates on his appeal attempt. And I was like, oh, this guy's so guilty. And then I read all that and I was like, oh, I don't even know. (laughs) They make some good cases, like if you really did have to drive two hours or like take a train for two hours, but... I wasn't able to find, like, exact locations of where he was during times. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how that goes, and I'll definitely update you all. But as of now, it's way too recent. There's nothing else to say on it. Damn. <laughs> but how have I never heard of this person? A teenager who started killing people at 12. I don't know. By lighting fires. That's insane. Sorry, that was a shorter story, but it was so fucking crazy I had to share it. <laughs> no, that's cool. It was definitely <laughs> interesting. Like, damn. I don't, I don't know how I, neither of us knew about it. Bruce Lee, serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> I also read a lot about actual Bruce Lee and stuff. Got distracted a little bit while researching, <laughs> as I do. <laughs> but yeah. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? No. Thank you for listening. Thank you, everyone. Next week, we'll be coming in with some creepy pasta, probably. But for now, if you guys would like to email us any of your personal stories or recommendations that you want, you can at thespookyshit.pod at gmail.com. Or you could always like DM us on Instagram or Twitter, both of which are spookyshit underscore pod. And our website is spookyshit-pod.com. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. We really appreciate you guys. And that's all for now, folks. Akika, bye! Bye!
Mariah Carey. You start scre- uh, screaming, singing. Screaming. <sighs> <sighs>